I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, fearlessly, as I should. I have included a recording of the passage that we're looking at today, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. And the reason behind this is that I truly believe that Paul is making a military speech. He is talking to an army of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his first aim is to give them this one instruction to be strong in the Lord. And so there is strength in his words, and we'll look at some of that today. But he is also showing us the a, a full appraisal of the enemy. He is briefing us on the enemy. And then he goes on to talk about the preparation that we're obliged to make to fight against this enemy, to stand shoulder to shoulder as soldiers of Christ in a dark world. And finally, he briefs us on the rules of engagement, the way in which we are to, um, to carry out our instructions to fight and to fight and to keep fighting. Well, today we're just going to look at those first two ideas. First of all, that Paul is encouraging the followers of Jesus, that Paul is giving them some warmth uh, in his instructions, some passion, some drive, some power. And then secondly, he is briefing on the enemy. And so I don't pretend that this is a comfortable subject, uh, nor that there is enough in my own preparation or my own understanding. We have to constantly refer to the scriptures and to all of the scriptures to see the enemy that we're facing and to be able to front up 
and to be able to fight as good soldiers of Christ. So um, there's my introduction. Let's carry on. And I'm really looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13 today. Well, the rhetoric of Paul's um, speech here can be heard when, when, we, when we read it out aloud. And in most English versions, there is that flow of an idea. Um, as some of you know, I'm a very imperfect um, early learner of the Greek language. And so I tried to, um, in preparation for, for this talk, I tried to gain an understanding of how the, the Greek is put together just so that I could hear some of the the cadences and the ideas as as they sound um, to the original hearers of this letter. Because you know that the letter would be sent um, and delivered, but the, not everyone would, would read it. They, they would come under it, they would listen to it, and, and they'd hear uh, Paul's language here. So... I've tried in, in that way to, to prepare. And in another way, I've uh, looked at a book which I commend to you, and um, I'm some way through it. It's called The Christian in Complete Armour by William Gurnall. And he wrote it in the 17th century. And its modernness, its prescience today is just amazing. So... I recommend that to you, and I'll keep reading it long after this um, this uh, series on Ephesians is uh, is over. Well, so a few comments about the language. Uh, Paul uses lots of repeated ideas. We see in the in those verses ten to thirteen, stand, stand, stand. Three times we're told that we need to stand. And he backs this up by um, having some other language tricks. One is that he uses, uh, do you know, it's that, it's that rhyme that doesn't quite work. It's the, it, it's, we call it assonance. Um, it's where something sounds like something. And, uh, and, and he uses that. Um, in particular, in his opening comments finally be strengthened by the Lord that's uh, the Greek word for become become powerful be empowered and uh, it gives us our word dynamism and then in verse 11 put on the full armor of God and the be empowered and the put on they sound very similar so in one idea we have be strengthened, and in the other idea, so be strengthened, which is, if you like, a mental idea, but then put on, which is a physical idea, and both of those are connected by that assonance, that sort of false rhyming at the beginning of the sentence. It's a, it's a command to people, and because it's a command, it's got that, that command ending. Um, it, they, they sound similar, so... Be strengthened, put on. In English, they don't sound anything like each other, but in Greek, they're quite close uh, in both me in both 
the, the sound that they have, but then by implication, they're connected in meaning. So be strengthened, put on. And uh, then as part of the rhetoric, Paul delivers on the, I suppose, the, the enemy army that we're facing, starting with the uh, the prince of darkness and, and continuing through uh, flesh and blood, um, the physical rulers of our present world, and then the uh, authorities in the dark, uh, the dark world as well of evil. And as he builds on that, um, we could get a sense of dismay, like, <laughs> who are we to fight against all of these enemies of, uh, of God's gospel and God's kingdom? But actually, uh, I think one of the things that Gurnall says, and I, I rather like it, is that uh, he is not trying to weaken Christians in Ephesus, but he's trying to awaken their care, not trying to weaken them, but to awaken them. Um, in, in, in effect, Paul is telling us the worst first, so, so get ready. And, uh, and he, he, well, later on, uh, he'll, he'll talk about the devil and, and put him really in perspective and put him in his place because it is our job as Christians uh, to, to understand the place of, uh, of, of the devil and not to exaggerate it nor to underestimate. So we have that pyramid of the enemy from top to bottom, if you like. And then Paul uses a strong central image. It's, it's a martial image. It's, a, it's a, an image of getting ready for battle. It's actually instructions to soldiers. And then he talks about practical stuff, things that, that we can hang our faith on, a breastplate, a, a, a sword, a, um, a, a shield that we can hold. And he does something interesting, which is because, because Paul is Hebrew, uh, having grown up as a Roman citizen with Greek teaching. Now, Greek teaching used to separate body and soul. That was the big sort of discovery that you could separate those body and spirit or whatever. Actually, Paul brings those back together just by the power of his language in this. So, he begins verse 10, be strong in the Lord. Put on the full armour of God. Be strong in the Lord and his vast strength. And put on the full armour of God. So, so there is the initial instruction. And now he's going to explain why. Interestingly enough, we get that word panoply from the full armour of God. I think I remember it in one Christian hymn. And so he moves with that strong encouragement 
to a briefing on the enemy. Now, you or I, we don't know a lot about planning for a battle. But it would be good for us to have a true understanding of what the battle is that we're in and why we're qualified to fight in that battle. Well, first of all, a question. What, what, what is this? What's the nature of the battle that we're in as Christians? Are we in a, a Battle of Britain situation where so much is owed to so uh, by so many to so few? In other words, are we the few soldiers, the few military people who can hold off uh, this great surrounding and powerful enemy? Well, maybe. Or are we the, are we the advancing Roman um, army as it conquers Europe? And remembering, of course, that... Uh, up till this time, the Roman Empire has actually been expanding. And the, the, the briefing is very much, by the way, uh, to Roman soldiers. The, the, the body armor and the sword and everything, they're really Roman artifacts. We can see that clearly. And that's important for uh, a reason that we'll come to in our next talk. But, um, but the question is, what is the battle that we find ourselves in as Christians? Surrounded, defensive, or in an advancing army carrying all before us? Or is it that we are somewhere in between? Are we in one of those sort of medieval battles where the two armies front up to each other and the... the, the Result is decided by the one that stands the longest. In some ways, that was the 1066 thing, wasn't it? Where Harold and his house carls stood on the hill at, at Hastings, shoulder to shoulder, side by side, with a wall of shields and withstood a powerful enemy. Unfortunately, they were tricked into breaking ranks, and as they did so, the horsemen of uh, William the Conqueror turned and routed their uh, routed their, um, their their army. Okay, Paul is showing us that we're in a battle and we need to be battle ready. And one final comment, and please forgive this, but it seems that as Christians. We are encouraged to a kind of maturity that will make us battle ready. And how often as Christians are we tempted to go back to a childish way of thinking? In Hebrews, we're, we're told, I'm not going to go back over baptisms and initial ideas about faith. We, we want to look to maturity, not to milk but to spiritual food. And Paul is addressing a spiritual people, a people with their inheritance in the heavenly places. But they've got a job to do, and the job is to wage war, is to do battle, is to stand and stand and stand. Well, first of all, 
were to stand against the tactics of the devil. In the Greek, his methods. Now, we know something about the devil's tactics because the Bible is clear about who he is. He's first seen as a deceiver. His tactic is to get inside somebody's mind and to use a half-truth. And so he deceives Eve. And he ignores Adam. This is not because he uh, picks on the weakest, actually. <laughs> he doesn't see Adam as a threat. Um, the devil is given this uh, small part in the story of Job, where he's seen roaming the earth. His tactic then to look for someone to attack or to hurt. And later, in the New Testament, he's described as being like a roaring lion, trying to seek whom he might devour. In his dealings with the Lord Jesus Christ, we learn that he does have some power to offer Jesus, but Jesus rebuffs him at the first and the final temptation with a word, the word of God. And the devil's variously described as being the prince of the power of the air, the prince of this world. So we need to be in no doubt. Our enemy, first and foremost, is formidable and is motivated by hatred. Uh, he's the accuser of the brethren. But he cannot reverse the fact that he's already defeated and that there is a definite ending for his reign on earth. Gurnall says, and I like this, he may kill you, but not hurt you. Amen? Well, then we're fighting not just flesh and blood. Now, Gurnall makes a big thing about, because Paul says it's not just flesh and blood, it is flesh and blood. So we can look at that. I think, he's, I think he might be stretching his conclusion here. But the place of flesh and blood as the enemy of God's people is clear in Scripture. So often our flesh and blood holds us back, doesn't it? Our desires, our passions. Our, our petty emotions as well that come from our flesh and blood, but also our needs. Um, often they speak of limitations to us. So we need that to bring those under control in our lives. And Gurnall goes on to say that some people are kind of good, but they're still our enemies because we fall out with them. Um, and, uh, and some people are evil. And, and they're threatening. And this is where we have to be careful. Because Paul says, it's not just flesh and blood that we're fighting. It's not people that we can see, you know, the, the look on their face. It's not criminals or violent people or loud critics that are, are our enemies only. Though they are our enemies at times. But our enemy is spiritual uh, in, in all of the senses. And so there's a great danger for us as Christians to fall into a blame game. And if we're not careful, we, because we blame others for what's happening in our lives, we make an unhealthy alliance with flesh and blood enemies on one side and an unhealthy enmity with flesh and blood enemies on the other. And so we're a bit like um, the, 
the king of Judah um, in 2 Kings 8 who goes to visit his, uh, his dying ally, the, the, the king of Israel. And it, it ends badly for both of them because the king of Judah makes a bad friend, the king of Israel, and therefore is actually not protected against his enemy. Well, flesh and blood, rulers and authorities. Now, in the Greek, I'll keep going back to that, and I won't always, but I find this helpful. Hope you do. Um, in the Greek, the idea of rulers and authorities, it's the, those are the same words as Jesus is reported as using in Luke chapter 12, verse 11, where he counsels us, don't be afraid of having to stand in front of rulers and authorities. So I see rulers and authorities as being quite real people. In Paul's time, there were rulers, Romans, and religious authorities, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees. They were both true opponents of the gospel. Rome refused to allow legitimacy to Christians, and this resulted in a mass killing of the most dark form. But not quite yet in the uh, letter to the Ephesians, but it was going to happen. But the city of Ephesus was interesting because um, Roman power didn't allow freedom to Christians anywhere, but allowed a certain freedom to Jews, and so the Jews were actually given a bit more power in Ephesus. Uh, but not in, not in the city of Rome itself. So there we have rulers and authorities. These are the people who are given power on earth, and they may be against Christians. And I think we need to be obedient and good citizens, but never, and please forgive me for saying this, but never trust our rulers. We can't trust them because they're people and they're governed by the same sin and flesh and blood that we are, and occasionally by other forces. Christ's rule of law is the one that we have to follow, and that's going to bring us into conflict at times with the authorities and the rulers. But then we find that there are world powers of darkness, and this pyramid is growing. The, the enemy seems to be even more powerful. There's a true evil in the world. Now, Paul knew in his own heart before, uh, before he met Christ that there was a darkness there, that there was a violence, a passion against the gospel. And this is also seen in heresies against the gospel, that people were trying to make the gospel something that it wasn't. Uh, there's darkness in the greed and the hatred of corrupt people. And we are aware today, aren't we, because the media is so powerful, that there are the most desperate evils done in our world. Now, how do we recognize that darkness? All that does not glorify Christ is darkness. And here Paul is making that crossover between the spiritual darkness of the devil and his followers, the people here on earth, and, and then connecting it with a spiritual dimension as well. And he goes on to say that there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And, of course, the idea of the cosmos is a, 
highly prized idea in Jewish religion that God is present in his creation. Sun, moon and stars, the heavens, the earth. And it's clear here that because Satan has not been thrown down yet and thrown into the lake of fire, there is actually the presence of evil somehow in the heavens, not in the presence of God, but but beyond our world. Now, the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens have to give account to God. He calls them, they, they have to give account. We see that in the book of Job. But some places do have an atmosphere of darkness where there seems to be a sort of principality or a, an evil influence over a place or a people. And the people who follow Christ in Ephesus, they're aware of this darkness, the cult of Artemis in the area. But he's reminded the, child, the, the people that they, are, that they were darkness, but now they're children of light. And so he talks about the purpose of the church, declaring the mystery of Christ in the heavenly places to these authorities, these dark forces. So now we know that there is another dimension and that we're part of it. It's not just for super spiritual people. The warriors of Christ, the soldiers of Christ, must be ready to fight a spiritual battle. Well, Here's a final note. In Revelation chapter 2, the church to Ephesus is applauded for withstanding danger and for standing against false doctrine. Let me just read this to you. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands says, I know your works, your labor, your endurance. So they were standing at this point that you cannot tolerate evil. They were standing against evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. So they were committed to truth and you found them to be liars. You also possess endurance. And that's the fourth time that the Lord Jesus talks about how the church in Ephesus stands and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, we do have a true enemy and we must be careful not to let him have place in our discussions together, in wearying us, in making us afraid, in drawing us away from glorifying Christ, in listening to the wrong people, in being intimidated by what we think other people expect of us. But we are commanded to be empowered by the mighty hand of God and to put on the full armour of God, the panoply of God's weaponry 
that we may make a stand. And this is our call today, to make a stand. And by the grace of God, and by the overcoming of our testimony, and by the love and the unity and being a spiritual house in the image that Christ has created us to be, we will overcome. And we will be there at the end to be applauded. But let us underwrite everything with love. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.